You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 308 of this podcast. Today is January 21st, 2022, and the topic in the dock today is Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, the fight for a human future at the new frontier of power, published just about three years ago, almost exactly, January 28th, 2019. The summary on Audible, where I picked up the book, reads as follows. The challenges to humanity posed by the digital future, the first detailed examination of the unprecedented form of power called surveillance capitalism, and the quest by powerful corporations to predict and control our behavior. In this masterwork of original thinking and research, Shoshana Zuboff provides startling insights into the phenomenon that she has named surveillance capitalism. The stakes could not be higher. A global architecture of behavior modification threatens human nature in the 21st century, just as industrial capitalism disfigured the natural world in the 20th. Zuboff vividly brings to life the consequences as surveillance capitalism advances from Silicon Valley into every economic sector. Vast wealth and power are accumulated in ominous new behavioral futures markets, where predictions about our behavior are bought and sold, and the production of goods and services is subordinated to a new means of behavioral modification. The threat has shifted from a totalitarian Big Brother state to an ubiquitous digital architecture, a Big Other, operating in the interest of surveillance capital. Here is the crucible of an unprecedented form of power marked by extreme concentrations of knowledge and free from democratic oversight. Zuboff's comprehensive and moving analysis lays bare the threats to 21st century society, a controlled hive of total connection that seduces with promises of total certainty for maximum profit at the expense of democracy, freedom, and our human future. With little resistance from law or society, surveillance capitalism is on the verge of dominating the social order and shaping the digital future, if we let it. Having just finished that book, this book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, yesterday, 24 hours and 16 minutes in total, I have some thoughts. If you've been reading my work, listening to my podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm very concerned about, as I think many of us are, the potential for social media and big tech giants to manipulate, deceive, and ultimately enslave our society. Not to say they can't do it with other countries with other cultures uh, 
They certainly can. They certainly are trying to. But not at the pace, not at the level in in America that we find in America. I, I think what we find in America is all the more pernicious, all the more dangerous because we have grown accustomed to supposing ourselves free. And in believing that we see, we are all the more blind. In believing ourselves free, we are all the more enslaved to someone coming along and conditioning us using very, very subtle marketing tactics, the power of suggestion, taking Edward Bernays to the next level, propaganda, realizing Neil Postman's worst nightmare. And we, meanwhile, amuse ourselves to death. And by and large, when you try to tell people, hey, this is a really big concern, we need to be very, very careful here, how we engage these things. It's outrageous what's been done to censor conservatives and people who hold a different perspective. It's outrageous the way that we're being manipulated and the news is being curated. When you try to tell people that, you get a shrug because it's comfortable. It's comfortable and what are we going to do about it anyway? I recently got back on Facebook after a year and a month of being off, literally to the day, November 25th, 2020, to December 25th, 2021. From my anniversary with my wife, my 14th anniversary with my wife, to the following Christmas. I was off of Facebook. I was unplugged. I got a lot more accomplished. It cleared my mind. And so you might be wondering, well, Garrett, why did you get back on? Well, the reason I got back on is because despite many bad experiences, call me a glutton for punishment, or just chalk it up to my wanting to honor God with what I have at my disposal, wanting to love the people in my life who I've known or do know who are stuck, it seems, addicted, can't break away. I'm coming back for them. I don't want to leave them behind. But it's interesting to me, the facts, the studies, the arguments that Zuboff makes in the age of surveillance capitalism with regards to statements made by the likes of Google, Twitter, Facebook, as far as their perspective on what it is that they're doing, how they see the world, how they see the individual versus the collective, how they perceive history, how they perceive our society at present, and where they want us all to go from here and how they want their technology, their platform, very carefully curated as it is, to make that a reality. It's very interesting to hear Zuboff talk about how social media usage is so intense, especially for younger people, that to remove, studies have shown that to remove social media 
for a period of time. Individuals who are accustomed to using social media a lot, a lot, go through mental, emotional, physiological responses just like they would if they were addicted, which is to say they're addicted. Social media addiction is not only possible, it's very real. Social media is a kind of technological drug. And we think to ourselves we're being connected with these people, but we're not. We're not connected with those people. We're playing a big game with them. We're looking for affirmation. We're looking for validation. Why do we need validation? Why do we need affirmation? And isn't that, for the Christian, an inherently selfish thing? Are we loving those people as we love ourselves? With the kind of content that we're putting out there, with the reactions that we offer to the content of other people, are we loving one another as we love ourselves? Or are we desperate for attention? Are we quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? Is it all about us? Are we frivolous? Is it eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die when we take to these social media platforms? When we take to Google, when we take to YouTube, when we take to Twitter, when we take to Facebook, when we take to what is predominantly anymore the internet? And someone can say, well, just stay off of Facebook, stay off of Google, stay off of... Yes, there are alternatives, but are they being used? That's part of the trouble here. It's kind of like herd immunity. And social media is a kind of vaccination program, but it's a vaccination against thinking along certain lines. The folks doing the vaccinating don't believe in individuals. As much as they're giving you tools to express your individual self, or so it seems, they really don't believe in the individual. They believe in the collective. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Now, I will say, to be critical of Zuboff's book, 24 hours, 16 minutes, for one thing, I think was too long. For another thing, I think she was trying too much. Maybe I just wasn't Happy to hear confirmation of so many things, but there were so many things that weren't confirmation. I think she was just ragging on capitalism, as is du jour. I get the sense that she's somewhat of a hodgepodge in terms of her political positions and her political philosophy. But she says the age of surveillance capitalism, and she has not a single good thing to say about capitalism. And for that matter too, she quotes favorably the likes of Thomas Paine. She may be a libertarian, possibly, or she may be writing this book to try to get the attention of the left at these big tech giants, the left outside of these big tech giants, to say, hey, listen, this is doing a great deal of harm. What you're doing, it's not making the world a better place. It's making the world a, a worse place. I'm not sure. Either way, for whatever reason she says some of the things that she says, 
implies and takes for granted some of the things that she implies and takes for granted. I disagree with a default contempt for capitalism. But so also, I think it's a mistake to consider Facebook and Twitter and Google capitalistic first and foremost, more like crony capital. When Google has Barack Obama out to their headquarters prior to his running for election in 2008, when Google executives and Barack Obama and the workforce at Google have a kind of love affair, as Zuboff says, and then the Obama campaign uses a cozy relationship with Facebook and Twitter and Google to win two elections back-to-back, to embark on this campaign, to transform our thinking on lesbianism, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, capitalism, free speech, gun rights, self-defense, the news cycle, freedom of religion, on and on and on and on. When Barack Obama and the Democratic Party uses a very, very cozy relationship with these big tech giants to win, it's no big deal to the left. It's no big deal to these tech giants. And in exchange, of course, they get favorable treatment. If Google and Twitter and Facebook were opposed to the policies of the left, if Amazon Web Services were willing to take down their sites, hosting of their sites, supposing they didn't have giant server farms like they do, which of course they do, the Democrat Party would be trust-busting like you wouldn't believe, like you've never seen, like you've only read about, like you've only dreamt about. So it's a crony capitalism. It's a perverse alliance. And it always works in one direction. And libertarians drive me crazy. As sympathetic as I am to libertarian thinking outside of what God's Word explicitly says, libertarians sometimes are not (laughs) acquainted with reality, I think. And I mean that tongue-in-cheek, and I mean that with all due respect and affection, genuine affection. But libertarians will say, oh, yeah, but free market capitalism, it's a private business. They can do whatever they want, right? Well, yes and no. You, you do realize that what they're doing is dirty, underhanded, dishonest. It's a bait and switch. When their service is free, so-called, the product is you. I think that is an important thing that Zuboff makes clear here is how information about you is bought and sold and traded off of what's collected on these platforms. So not only are they cultivating your news feed, cultivating what your friends and family can and cannot see that you post. For instance, if you're posting in an election year, 
you post something really, really fantastic and it's taking off, they've got the kill switch and they are not afraid to use it. And they have used it. We know they've used it. But then the libertarians come in and they say, nah, they're a private business. That's the free market. They get to do what they want. Yeah, but it, free market capitalism is not what we have right now, for instance, for one thing. They essentially are working hand in glove with your government. They essentially are becoming your government. Or they are, for all intents and purposes. They are the gatekeepers. It's disturbing to me to think of purely naturalistic and ungodly people regarding all of us as Pavlov regarded his dogs. I ring the bell, you salivate. I give you a treat. Do that over and over and over, and at a certain point I just remove the treat, but you still salivate anytime I ring the bell because your mind is associated ringing the bell with getting a treat, and it's automatic now. Your body does what it needs to do, what I want it to do, just because I can. It's a big experiment. What it does to you long-term, not my problem. I really don't care. I'll convince myself that it's for the greater good. Turning families against one another, friends against one another, through the manipulation of information, all the while accusing anybody who disagrees with your narrative of fake news. You know, what's crazy to me about a book like The Age of Surveillance Capitalism is how much is made of Cambridge Analytica and the data mining that was, that was used by the Trump campaign. It was. That's clear. I don't think there's any disputing that. But the data mining that was used by the Trump campaign to win in 2016. Nobody thought he could win. Nobody thought he would win. Obama and the Democrats did that at least two elections in a row prior. And the Trump campaign just did it better that time around. And all of a sudden, everybody loses their mind. Oh, man, that's so unethical. That's so unscrupulous. That's, you know, no. You are an arbitrary, dishonest person. The only reason you think that it's so awful and scandalous is because your gal lost this time. And what's crazy is you guys didn't even like your gal. That, that's also part of why your gal lost. It's because she's evil and extremely unlikable. Extremely lacking in credibility. But she's a Democrat. She's an institution. She was going to push your policies. I don't like manipulating people the way that the Trump campaign seems to me as though they manipulated people through very, very targeted advertising. Let's find out what people want to hear and let's tell that to them in the most subtle, suggestive, underhanded way we can possibly imagine. I don't like that. I don't like that. It might be a big part of why my book, my book, <laughs> and this is why we homeschool, has not sold particularly well. It's probably no small part of why I seem to have a knack for upsetting people because I don't want to sugarcoat the truth and I don't want 
to manipulate you. I don't like being manipulated myself. I don't like feeling as though somebody's pushing my buttons and flipping my levers. If I tell it to you straight and you hate it, well, then maybe that's better for all of us than if I sold it to you in a really underhanded way and you get down the road a mile and yeah, you've got a smile on your face and yeah, you still like me. We're still on speaking terms. But you're not quite sure what just happened there. How did he sell that to me? How did that how did that work? Why why did I end up agreeing with him on that? There's something about that I just don't I don't like. It feels like it lacks integrity and honesty and respect for the other person. And it feels like it doesn't have staying power. And that honestly gives me some optimism about what it is that I read in The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And this book is three years old, nearly a week shy of three years old. So we know this. Out of 1,414 ratings on Audible, it's got a 4.4 out of 5 star rating. Very highly thought of among the people who have reviewed it anyways. This does pair nicely, actually, with... Stephen Levy's Into the Plex, or In the Plex, rather. How Google Thinks Works and Shapes Our Lives. It's a 2011 book by Stephen Levy from Wired Magazine. That book speaks very highly of Google and the history of Google. Zuboff references that book. But I'm actually optimistic in, sm in, in some measure, in in a small part, at least. Not like I'm going to overdo it. I'm not in any risk of that. But I'm somewhat optimistic that the fact that we know this is happening, that this is being done to us, takes the power away from the folks who are doing it. There's a proverb that comes to mind. Anytime I think of a situation like this in our day, things coming to light, people will say, sunlight is the best disinfectant, which is to say, you know, you bring some dark plot, some dark scheme, some dirty dealing to everyone's attention. And somehow that has a way of cleaning things up, even just that, even just the fact that it's out in the open now, the folks who were misbehaving behind the scenes suddenly start to manage themselves a little bit differently. Like, oh, yeah, somebody is paying attention. Oh, okay. Well, if I'm not getting consequences yet, maybe I should be on my best behavior. Which is also, also, I would add, this is also an excellent reason why the folks who are libertarians who are just like, well, you know, if you don't like it, go make your own, right? Get off. Why are you still here if you don't like it? Which I hate. I hate the 20-something, 30-something-year-old friends and cousins of mine who told me that for years. I don't hate them, but I hate that they told me that, to be clear. I hate that they told me that for years. If you don't like it, why are you here? You know, go, go find some other platform to use that does what you're talking about Facebook not doing or Google not doing or Twitter not doing. Or, you know, go find somewhere else to, to play or make your own. And a year and some change ago, I jumped off of Facebook and Twitter and 
went to some smaller startups that seemed like they had a little bit of momentum behind them. And a whole lot of other folks demonstrated that either A, they're addicted, they literally can't break away, B, they're ambivalent, and therefore complicit in all of this, and they have coming to them what they get. Or C, they really didn't mean it, or all of the above. But there's a proverb that comes to mind, all the same. Whether we stay or we go, whether we're addicted, we have to just kind of wean ourselves off over time, whether it's the next generation, because sometimes that happens. That happens in the book of Genesis. One generation is entirely wicked, and God says, I'm going to shake the etch a sketch, and we're going to start over. That's what we're going to do. And thankfully, when you read in the Law of Moses about parents and children and children and parents and the members of one's household being culpable for their own sin, being held accountable for their own sin, God explicitly says that children are not to be punished for the sins of their parents. Parents are not to be punished for the sins of their children. Each one's sins will be on their own head, period. Anything else is wicked. Punishing parents for what their children do is wicked. Punishing kids for what their parents do is wicked. Now, that said, you can punish parents for what they did or didn't do if they've been negligent, like literally they failed to do, they had an opportunity, we know they had an opportunity to intervene take responsibility and they didn't do it, well, then you can hold them accountable for that. They knew what was going to happen and they didn't do anything about it. Their kid goes in and shoots up some public place, murders a bunch of other kids. They knew full well that he was going to do that. They did nothing to stop it. They were completely hands-off and negligent and it was a dereliction of duty on their part. Yeah, okay, hold them accountable for something there. But all the same. Whether there's hope for the next generation, like my kids, maybe your kids, that they don't get into this in the first place or we're able to keep it from doing to them what it's done to our generation, it's helpful to know what it is that it's doing. It's very, very subtle. And if you read a book like the one that I just finished yesterday, that's what's so helpful about it. It, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing to realize you've been getting played for all of your adult life. I mean, up until I took a sabbatical from Facebook, I had been on there my entire adult life. From college on up to 2021. I'm sorry, 2020, not 2021. It was, it was pretty close to 2021, but 14 years, 15 years. If you're like me, for better or worse, Facebook and Twitter and Google have played a, an outsized role in shaping the way that we see the world and what we know and what we don't know and how we understand what it is that we think we know or how we misunderstand what it is that we think we know. For better or worse, these tech giants have shaped us individually and collectively. And we need to know that they don't do that shaping unconsciously. 
they do it with a full view to their own political philosophy. And you wouldn't believe how subtle the marketing can be, how subtle the power of suggestion can be, how subtle the messaging can be. You wouldn't believe it unless you see it for yourself. And that's why you need to. You have a responsibility. You can't unknow that there is potentially that. You need to look at it. There's a really brilliant documentary called The Century of the Self that the BBC did about 20 years ago on Edward Bernays, the double nephew of Sigmund Freud. And actually, come to find out, Edward Bernays is the one who made Sigmund Freud famous. Uncle Sigmund, back in the old country, here's his nephew in America, making a name, not for himself, first making a name for his uncle and his uncle's book. He reads his uncle's book on psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, what drives us, what makes us tick the way that we do. The self was psychologized, as Carl R. Truman would say. Psychology was sexualized. Sex was politicized. We see that. We see that everywhere we look. We see that on the topic of yesterday's podcast. Matt Walsh goes on the Dr. Phil show, and you can't just talk about what hardware do you have or not have. That's how we know whether you're a male or a female, a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. No, no, this is political. It's entirely political. And this is all about self-expression. And that's about psychology. And we have a default assumption that man is inherently good. So then, as much as you can unclutter his self-expression or her self-expression from systems that get in the way of authentic self-expression, as much as you can do that, you, you must, you have to, you have an imperative. And anybody who tries to stop you using conservative arguments, Burkean arguments, appeals to authority, God's authority, the authority of scriptures, the authority of tradition, well, they're oppressing you. They're oppressing us all. They're evil, actually. But I keep saying I'm going to reference this proverb, and I keep finding other things I want to say. The proverb in question I think of in reading a book like Zubov's Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son... Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. 
They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. The first chapter of the book of Proverbs, nestled right smack dab in the middle of that first chapter. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Knowing that we're being played in these ways gives us some ability to erect a defense spiritually, mentally, emotionally, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones. And we must, we must, we must, we must be careful what you're selling. Be careful what's being sold to you. Don't be greedy for unjust gain. One last thought I want to throw in on this topic. And this is another thing that Zupoff brings up. You have, in the case of the progressive secular reaction to social media, an increasing concern for what it does to young people's self-image and older people's self-image as well. But the comparison game, we compare our lives to what we see on Instagram, what we see on Facebook, what we see on someone's feed, the pictures they take, glamorous pictures of them and their friends, smiling, happy, having a beautiful meal in a beautiful place with beautiful people, being beautiful people themselves. We see that and we feel depressed because well, I'm not beautiful like that. I'm having a TV dinner <laughs> on my couch and I need to vacuum. And what in the world is that that fell back behind you? I'm a loser. Everybody else is better than I am. Everybody else is smarter than I am. Everybody else is prettier than I am. Everybody else is stronger and wealthier and more successful and better liked than I am. And I really do question, what is it besides radical egalitarianism that the left has to offer, that secular humanism in our day and age has to offer as an antidote to that feeling of depression? I think that's just it. Radical egalitarianism, censorship, pettiness, therapeutic remedies, mantras, medicine. We're just going to medicate you with distractions and pharmaceuticals. For the Christian, for one thing, I would recommend, highly adv advise, highly recommend, don't be so quick to be jealous of other people. For one thing, they may not be presenting their life so unfiltered. Just because they put hashtag unfiltered does not mean that that picture is unfiltered. Of course it's filtered. They took it from that angle for a reason. They could have taken it from a different angle, but then it wouldn't have been as beautiful because it's not all perfect where they're at, who they're with. They gave plenty of advanced warning to the people, the beautiful people that they took a photo of. And if they took a bad picture, they did not post that one. They posted the best one with the people most practiced 
at faking it. <laughs> and they don't eat at that restaurant all the time. That's also why they don't post pictures of their meal all the time. It's a very rare treat. They maybe couldn't afford just to try and get you to feel the way that you're feeling right now. And isn't that kind of sad, actually? I mean, you can be happy for them, too. That's the other possibility. Rather than being jealous of people, being selfish, being ungrateful to God, well, what has God given you, right? Rather than wasting your time being jealous of what he's given other people, are you being thankful for what he's given you? Are you being a good steward of the talents he's given to you? Oh, he only gave me one talent. He gave that guy five talents. This is only $2 million. What a joke. I'm going to bury it in a field and I'll show him. Yeah, and look at that guy making $10 million, almost $11 million into almost $11 million more. That's enough. I'll just sit here and glare at him indefinitely. Wait for the master to get back. See the look on his face. <laughs> yeah. Won't he be mad? Show him. That is to say, too, you can check out my episode two episodes ago, what the parable of the talents has to say about inequality. Spoiler alert, it's God-ordained, it's baked into the equation, it's a good thing. Embrace it. Stop fighting it. Embrace inequality. And thank God that he's given you whatever he's given you. And be, good, be a good steward. Be thankful for what God has given you and be a good steward of it. And instead of being jealous of people and being envious of people, maybe celebrate with them. That's biblical. Celebrate with people who are celebrating. They're having a nice meal. Be happy for them. They just got a new job. Congratulate them. Are you loving God? Are you loving one another in the way that you're engaging in this space? That's the big question. That's the big antidote. That's the big question. Are we loving God and one another better in the way that we're engaging in this space? And if not, what needs to change? How do we get that? How do we make that happen? Don't want to be a slave to it. We must master it. I got to leave it there, though. I've got work to start, which will be the push of a button. I've got a KVM switch I bought sitting on my desk. I push a button, and it switches my mouse and keyboard and my two side monitors from being inputs for my personal computer that I'm recording this podcast episode on right now to being inputs for, or outputs, if you will, inputs, outputs, I.O., for my work laptop. Push a button. I need to get up, stretch, all that good stuff. But any way you slice it, it's time to start work for the day. So as always, thank you for listening. Check out Shoshana Zuboff's The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, if you will. It's a long book. It's not the most pleasurable of reads, but I'm still glad I read it. I think it was helpful in a lot of ways. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.